Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing good, Bruce. I'm doing good. I had a friend who's been razzing me for the last three months saying, you are the biggest idiot saying there's going to be NHL playoffs. You're just so wrong. It's never going to happen. That friend wasn't you, Bruce, by the way. You weren't saying that. But... uh, you were not saying that, but a couple of my friends were telling me that. I said, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Bruce, uh, it's going to happen. I, you know, there's, this, there's so much now riding on this. Absolutely so much riding on this. New CBA, everything's scheduled. Everything's good to go, set to go. It's coming, and it's, I'm excited. Training camp starts tomorrow. It's yeah. hard to believe, eh? Wow. Here yeah. we are. Starts Monday. By the time uh, this podcast goes up, it'll practically be Monday. So it'll, we're, uh, we're on the verge of phase three, and this is the, the dangerous phase of the whole thing. I, I still uh, I acknowledge your optimism throughout, but I'm I'm still have a little shred of of concern of 24 teams making it through phase three, and and 12 of them actually arriving in Edmonton. Well, 11 of them arriving in Edmonton. On July 26th, and there's a lot of highway to go through between the, here and there, and you know how this bloody thing. Every day there's been different crap going on in the real world and in the sports world that is not generally all that predictable. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, oh. I mean, the, the hurdles, Bruce. I got it. Listen, I I when I heard that the, that they weren't just working on a return to play, that they were working on a new CBA. That mm-hmm. wasn't generally, I don't think, reported very well by our media. And uh, when I heard that, I mean, as, optimist, uh, as optimistic as I have been through this whole thing, I was taken aback by that. Mm-hmm. So I, I have got to give full credit to both Gary Bettman and Donald Fair, 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 um, Donald Fair, and the players and the owners for getting this getting it together and, and and coming up with a deal that they can all be happy with apparently i mean bruce the final vote for the players was 79 percent of the teams only two voted against it this is they're going to the olympics thank god they're going to the olympics it just makes me so happy i just love the olympics um they're going there they're going to play the playoffs this year they hammered this out they have a deal which i think um not surprised the players accepted it, Bruce. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, way to go, NHL and Batman and all you guys. Uh, that that's a tremendous accomplishment, and it's something we certainly haven't seen for negotiations to remain so quiet and yeah. to be so successful. Maybe there's a yeah. maybe there's a correlation between the two. Well, I know that the last three CBAs all came at the at the cost of a half season to full season um, work stoppage of hockey being cancelled for extended periods of time and leaving long-time fans of the game like this one in a furious rage each time it happened that they couldn't get their shit together and work it out. So this time around, I mean, hats off, they did. And I'll repeat a point I've made maybe more than once on this podcast in recent months that uh, hockey has already had its work stoppage for the 2020s. And yeah. it's ongoing right now. They cannot, the game absolutely could not afford to have another labor stoppage. And this, I mean, the extension's only four years, right? I mean, they, they, they just sort of extended the current one 
from 2020 to 22, when neither side exercised its option to opt out of the of the this one. So it was already good for two more years. But 2022, I mean, that would have been a death knell if they got to 2022 and started talking about labor strife and so on again at that stage. Now they've got till 2026, and it sounds like you say it was a it was a, a reasonably amicable negotiation where they work together like the partners are supposed to be as opposed to this absolute uh you know polarization that we've seen in the previous three and even four if you want to count the the brief 10-day strike player strike in 1992 that predated all three of the longer lockouts that were more owner precipitated so you know, hats off to them. They got it done this time. I mean, this work stoppage is painful enough, but this this is the only one of the four where I'm not mad at anybody. It's just you know, stuff has come down. It's not like they they blew it because they couldn't get couldn't get it together to negotiate. They were they're all. I mean, we're all behind this COVID eight ball uh, this year, and it uh, that's what it took to get labor peace in the NHL. So be it. Yeah, and they've been, like you say, they've had these work stoppages. The last thing the NHL can afford, in a world where people are increasingly turning away from this, that, and the other thing into a million other things, there's a million things to to distract people and their attention. You have to be very careful now with your audience, I think, and quite respectful, and and keep them them hooked. If you got your hooks in them, don't let it go. And I'll tell you what, Bruce, if they had been out till January or something like that, that would have been a huge blow uh, going forward. Now they now we have this spurt of activity that we can all talk about and get into and be happy about. And then there'll be another break. But that in that break, there'll be a, a draft and there will be uh, uh, signings and stuff like that. Lots of things to keep people interested. And then there'll be the new season, whatever, whatever form that takes. And uh, yeah, very well done. Because I, I just think it would have been devastating for hockey. The last thing people want to hear about when everyone I run into is worried about their job, worried about a pay cut, worried about their survivability of their work, when everyone's like, what the hell's happening? What's going to happen? For for people who, who have billions and, and tens of millions of dollars to be squabbling, is it would be, frankly, extremely distasteful. And I think we're seeing it in some other sports, and they're really testing their fans. And, and I'm not, I don't baseball. follow those other sports. Ooh. Closely enough, Bruce. I just hear about it a little bit, like uh-huh. baseball and baseball. this and that. So, like, the, I I just don't know. I don't know why people just wouldn't say the hell with you guys. Like, oh. pox on both houses. I'm Three done. times in my life that I that I sort of toyed with the idea of saying the hell with hockey were those three long lockups. When the you know the 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 thread of the game was snapped, and for months on end. Well, they squabbled about money instead of just playing games and you know working out how to share the spoils, which there have always been plenty. So it's uh, it's good that they got that uh, done this time. I, I share your concern about you know the the potential rebound of the audience. Uh, you know, like how practical is it going to be to to expect to fill? 18,000 seat arenas at uh, the price of hockey tickets with the health concerns and the financial concerns of so many of the uh, uh, supporters. You know, Did you that's... see that? Uh, sorry. Did you see that German soccer team, Bruce? The mm-hmm. Berlin soccer team? They have a 21,000 seat arena. Mm-hmm. Their plan for the coming year is to test every single fan before every single game. 
and sell out their arena to capacity. The Berlin Berlin team in the Bundesliga. Uh-huh. And um, now, of course, there's a major difference between soccer and hockey. Yeah. Soccer's outdoors. And yes. uh, we all, we've all come to hear, and we're, I'm not a scientist, you're not, but we've all come to hear the general wisdom is of the collective group led mm-hmm. by scientific experts that outdoor activities are a lot safer than indoor activities. Indoor activities are really rife with, with problems. So that, that's fascinating to me that even like, you know, they're going to be, they said they, they want them singing, they want them cheering and they're going to oh, do man. that next year. So, wow. Well, they, why do you have to come to the four hours before kickoff to line up for the have, temperature test? I mean, day before you have to get a test, a test, which the team uh-huh. will pay for. Wow. And then you have to bring your certificate that you've passed, which I guess would be emailed to you or something like that. Unreal. Isn't that, a, that's, a, that's yeah, astonishing. Like it's a gigantic hassle all the same, though. Like, it's it's easy to anticipate some fans just saying, screw this noise, you know, it's, it's already expensive, yada, yada. I, I lived without it when it was down. You know, they're, they're sort of uh, rationalizing uh, and finding reasons of which having to line up for a temperature check might be one reason, right? Although, but, that said, you know, just the joy of being with other people might be mm-hmm. immense. Like, oh, who, yeah, who yeah, that's it's nothing feel. like being in a live hockey bar and in a good game, man. There's nothing like it, yeah. Um, so we're, we're just we're in this podcast, we're going to talk about the these little bit more about the CBA. We'll talk about the Oilers' uh opening day of training camp tomorrow. We'll talk about some players uh taking the opt out clause, and we'll talk about Zach Cassian's photo, uh, photo op with the member of the Hells Angels yeah. motorcycle yeah. game. Uh, Bruce, just quickly, let's just wrap up the CBA. The sure. one thing that struck me was Elliot Friedman did some really good reporting on this, as he usually does. So 79% of the players voted in favor of it, 29 of 31 owners. The interesting thing was, if they had gone into this last year of the CBA, what the ramifications were going to be for the players. And what they were looking at, here's what Elliot says, quote, both sides were looking at a 2020-2021 salary cap in the $65 million range and escrow on top of that, and I'm adding that in there, escrow on top of that anywhere from 35 to 70%. It can be adjusted upward during a season if revenues are low. <laughs> wow. So what I think, like the players... Um, I, I can see why they voted for this, Bruce. And, I, and you know, I think the owners, they have got to save their investment. I can see why the owners did it, too. They need the team's values, the value of the franchises to stay high. They need this entity to stay vital and going. But for the players, this was a huge thing. I mean, they, they could be looking at what's what's 70% of $65 million. Uh, let's just Most of out. it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about, about $45 million. Million. It's about $45 million. 45 It would take them down dollars. to $20 million in actual payroll for your entire team. Like wow. That's, that, but, I mean, just cutting it back to $65 million, I mean, the only way they'd be able to do that is with actual wage rollbacks before the escrow. Yes. Right, like they had in uh, 1990, was it 2004, they did the 24% wage rollbacks for the guys that had existing contracts. And then escrow was sort of, you know, an, another uh, another clawback over and above that. Because otherwise, I mean, you couldn't just say, well, now next year our, our salary cap is down by 20% because teams are committed. And you look at any payroll and you're apt to find 15 guys under contract for a total of $70 million. And the team's got $10 million to spend on eight guys, right? 
Well, if you've already committed 70 million, and all of a sudden the league tells you that, well, you're limited to 65 million, and oh yeah, you need to sign more players, and you can't even pay the ones you got. I mean, that would have been just craziness. So there, there's uh, there's some details probably missing there, which I would expect a wage rollback would have been one. But I do understand there's a 10% um, rollback, but a temporary one by the players in 2021. And 20% escrow. So they're probably going to lose about 30% of their salary, like of the 81 million. So mm -hmm. that's a big hit as well, but yep. it's less than they probably faced under the other scenario. And so they mm -hmm. get some certainty of about, you know, 70% um, of their salary for the next 55 million. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for the next few years. And that's probably looking pretty good mm -hmm. when faced with the alternative in a league that may or may not have fans in the stands. So um, yeah, they, they, they went for some security, but who, frankly, who wouldn't go for some security um, going forward with, with whatever job that they're doing in life right now. So good yeah. deal for the playoffs. And let's, let's go to training camp. Any surprises sure. for you in the, in the players that were listed? By the orders? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not really. I mean, I took a stab at uh, the uh, uh, projected roster back in uh late May when the league first announced its return to play strategy. And they said there'd be 28 skaters and as many goalies as you like. And in the end, the Oilers have 28 skaters. Well, I got three, four guys wrong in my projection, but they, you know, there's always a cusp of guys. Uh, they were starting with a, a, a roster, an NHL roster of 25 players that included 15 forwards, eight defensemen and two goalies. That was what they had on, you know, on the, uh, big club when things shut down on, on March the 12th. Now, uh, a couple of those guys were on injured reserve. The other 23 were on the active roster. So obviously the expectation is all of those guys will be invited to camp. And no doubt they were until, of course, we had the withdrawal for personal health reasons of uh, veteran defenseman Mike Green that uh, the orders had just traded for for additional defense depth in the playoffs, which they no longer will have. What did you think of Green uh, deciding to opt out? Uh, I, I, I can't lie. I'm a little choked at the situation. But the situation, I mean, that's just luck, right? That's just the rub of the green or the bounce of the puck. You know, the guy's got a legit reason to not expose himself. He had a very bad virus in 2018-19 that attacked his liver. It cost him the first nine games of the season. I remember when he first was out, and it sounded bad at the time. I think, holy hell, I wonder if he's ever going to play again. Missed the first nine games of the season. He came in, he played, he got hurt, an unrelated injury during the season. And then early March last year, uh, he uh, had a recurrence of the liver virus, and he missed the last 17 games of the season. So he had two he had to deal with the virus in 2018 and in 2019. Do you think that's a guy who wants to deal with another virus in 2020? I don't think so. And I would think if I would well imagine without having any details, but I would well imagine that his doctor recommended that he not play just based on yeah, the, you know, the you know, outline we know. I think for a lot of the players, like if I, if I was to guess, I think a lot of plays, players will be safer in the bubble. They're going to be a lot less likely to get COVID in the bubble than they will be um, if they just stayed home. But the exception to that is a guy like Mike Green, who is taking probably extreme care of himself, right. himself to self-isolate. And someone like that who's had some health problems, 
he's probably safer outside the bubble. And I, I just think this this opt out clause was, was fantastic, fantastic mm-hmm. idea by the NHL. Absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. You know that most of the players are not going to take this, right? And um, it's just going to be a small minority. But you really do have to give. Let those people decide. Let them stay out. And it just takes all the pressure off everybody else. They can they can then proceed mm-hmm. happily with their games. You know, everyone's decided to be there. Everyone's now everyone's made that choice. I want in. I'm not forced in. I'm there. I'm I'm taking a stand and I'm going for it. That kind of buy-in is important. But they also the ability to to buy out and to opt out is is great. So good. Um, well, they were, they know, were told they could do so without any uh, repercussions. Yeah. And. Uh, that doesn't account for repercussions. I mean, there's. I'm hearing some trash talking from, uh, from dark corners of the internet and so on about the player. But I would like to think that most reasonable thinking people, when presented with the circumstances of Mike Green's past, recent past, dealing twice with a with a dangerous virus, that they might rethink that position and say, yeah, this is a this is one of those cases where it's unfortunate. And he's probably upset that he can't play, but you know it's just had to be this way. And it, What's it the is nasty unfortunate. thing? What, what what nasty things are people saying? Uh five letter words starting with P. I read a few times on. Uh, oh, that he's on, chicken, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that one. Oh, and uh, yeah, and and uh, just just reactionary stuff just, from. And I don't even know who you know. It was like I read the release and all the replies to it, so it wasn't necessarily people I knew or anything. But you see just, that and. You, shake your head at the best of times but like i say especially when we know the circumstances of, of what he's dealt with you think a guy is uh, right in his rights to be concerned about virus i sure do you know? anyone like we all we all know our own health situations very mm-hmm. well and we're all we've all been going through this in our own heads and taking mm-hmm. the necessary precautions for ourselves i don't begrudge anyone doing that I think that would be the, like it's the worst possible position to take to begrudge yeah. people that that yeah. opportunity. So, well, Bruce, I want to ask you one other of thing. other people is uh, pretty common in this world just now. But uh, in the case of Mike Green, I'm like my original reaction was, well, see you later, Mike Green. You know, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. There's no way the Oilers will want to bring him back and have that uncomfortable dressing room meeting and next training camp. But he, I've even rethought that, that I'm sure the players understand because of, you know, his specific circumstances. It's real. He's got health issues. So, so were you a little the guy ticked a break. About, were you a little ticked about the draft pick? Like we only well, got two games out of the, is that what you said initially? That's, yeah, you were, the initially circumstances, you the situation okay. is what I'm ticked at. And the situation is the Oilers gave up a perfectly good draft choice for a depth player, which they, who they no longer have. And they've lost the draft choice for, for basically nothing. And uh, that's you know that's it's just like you say the rub of the green. They got a shitty bounce and uh, went against them, and they lost a draft pick for it. Not the first time that's happened either, by the way. But uh, I do not bear a grudge against Mike Green the way I do against the NHL's league office for their the wrong-headed executive compensation plan that cost the orders two higher draft picks than that in uh, the fairly recent past. But that's. Uh, yeah, well, maybe we won't that's, have to that's an old that Lucic's draft pick, Bruce. Maybe we, won't have, maybe we can get out of it. I haven't heard a oh. word on that. So, but Bruce, like if I'm completely honest about Mike Green, um, listen, I'm, I'm not a fan of the player. And um, what I saw in two games didn't encourage me. And what, certainly what I read from Detroit, people who watched that team closely did not encourage me. The stat line, 
he just really looks like he's lost a step. You know, that said, a veteran player might be able to help in the playoffs, can all maybe help in the plus. But I was worried, Bruce, that actually the, they, the coaching staff might be invested in this player and the GM might be invested in this player. And he might play ahead of players like Matt Benning and, and uh, Caleb Jones or Chris Russell. I don't think Mike Green is close to those guys, honestly, at this point. And so, you know, just hockey-wise, you know, forget anything else, just hockey-wise, I would way rather have those other players in the lineup than Mike Green. And I would rather have probably rather have William Loggison or Evan Bouchard in the lineup, too. Listen, we've all seen these demons at the end of their careers, Bruce, who can't keep up anymore. I've seen it too much. And I've seen coaches and, and GMs get inv- still invested in those players and still send them out there. And I, that was my worry that that's what I was going to be watching in this year's playoffs. So in just hockey-wise, um, uh, I don't see this as an issue for the team. I think they have a lot of better players than, than Green at this point. Well, and that's the other thing to consider is, is what we've just been talking about, about the, the virus that cost them both ends of the 2018-19 season and the knee injury that cost them a dozen games in the middle. Last year, he played 43 games. He did get 26 points. Not bad. And then this year, he was just not the same guy. 11 points in 48 games. I mean, that's for him, with all the points he's put up in his career, just nowhere near his game. And you have to think, well, I wonder how much that virus took out of the guy. You know, he signed a two-year contract. He got sick in the first year. He came back to play out his contract. I mean, I wouldn't be totally surprised if he just retired at the end of the summer, you know. Oh, that's I think 34. I mean, he's, he's got a pile of money in the bank. He, you know, it might not be easy to... Uh, Find a job elsewhere, and then maybe the new COVID world will uh, uh, help uh, spur his decision as well. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, you can just, just looking at his box cards, you can see he fell off an absolute cliff in, in 1920, and it was right after he had that virus, so. I never understood why they traded for him in the first place, honestly. Like, it didn't make sense. Like, you have all these guys. You got Matt Benning, and, well, and you know, uh, just... Do they really not like Matt Benning at all? Like uh, I, I didn't mind it, you know, because like, to me it gave him eight defensemen. It gave him four righties, four lefties. It gave him lots of options in the third pairing. That's what I was going to write about enough. tonight going into training camp, except for now I'm writing about how they're going to how they're going to cobble together a third pairing out of three guys instead of four because they had, you know, they had a, two veterans, two younger guys. They had two puck movers, two more stay-at-home guys. They had, you know, lots of options of how they could do that third pairing. And there's nothing like experience, you know. And Mike Green had a lot of it, a lot of playoff experience. Only James Neal has more uh, on the Oilers. And so they'll do without that. So they'll have... There's nothing, there's nothing like experience, Bruce, except for a young talent that's ready to blossom, i.e. Caleb Jones. I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, you know, I want to see that. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, the coach, I, I would say a coach would like to have experience to draw on. Yes. But uh, he's, <clears throat> instead of having two righties and two lefties to make his third pairing, he has Matt Benning and he has uh, Chris Russell and Caleb Jones, both of whom are capable of flipping and playing on the right side. But that's less than ideal of having, you know, a spare part in each position as, as Holland had built the team at the deadline. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know who we'll see in the third pairing. It could be Russ, you know, Russell and Benning, uh, Jones and Benning, maybe. It's hard to imagine Chris Russell won't be in the lineup. Uh, 
open. Listen, he's going to be in the lineup. The coach is going to go with the old veteran, and he should, I think. So it's going to be Jones or Benning, and I would prefer to see Jones personally, but I'd be okay if I see Benning too. So that's how I see it. Yeah, well, I think he'll play um, he'll play um, Russell at least at first for the same reason. I think he will play James Neal. I just think that that playoff experience is going to buy Neal's ticket into the lineup to start the playoffs. Yeah, Neal. He already talked about that heavy line that he liked: mm-hmm. Neal, yeah. Kara, and Chason. So um, and I so then it's who's going to be with McDavid? That's going to be interesting. I think Ennis and um, Cassian, right? Could could be the guys. Uh, but the question is, Cassian. will Athanasiu be in the press box, or uh, is Nigard is going to be in the press box? Probably. Well, Maybe we'll see Athanasiu with um, with Shane and Archibald on the third line. And I don't know. I'd rather see Nigard. I think he's more of a. He's got his head around checking. He's not minus fifty thousand in the last two seasons yeah. like Athanasiu. Well, again, is. you have depth. Like they had, they had five lines. And four defense pairs. Yeah. And all the left wingers shot left, and all the right wingers shot right, and all the left defensemen shot left, and all the right defensemen shot right. It was like a perfect depth chart. And then lost a guy from the bottom of it. But Green was the one guy they lost from the roster. I mean, you're talking about the overall roster. Uh, The other guys, sort of the marginal, sort of invited extra guys that are sort of destined to be black aces. And I got a couple of them wrong. I I had Marcus Granlund on my original list just for his experience and, and his ability to play multiple positions. And even then I expressed doubts because he had signed a contract in the KHL. And rather than him opting out, they just didn't invite him. Or it may idea. have been a mutual decision by the two. But by doing yeah. that, they opened up a spot for Cooper Marodi. Well, great. That's good for Cooper Marodi. Another guy I thought might be on the team, and I... I, I I actually had him on my original list and then took him out for Thomas Yurcho, who I thought remembered was, you know, recovered from shoulder surgery. Uh, but in the end, they did go with the younger man, uh, Ryan. So they brought on uh, and to replace uh, Mike Green on the full depth chart, they brought in Philip Broberg. So of the guys that I originally projected, which I sort of aired on the side of veterans that I thought the team might do, no, no, they've gone for the young guys and all of Broberg, McLeod, uh, you know, there, Rodrigue and, uh, you know, the, all the young goalies, because there's no limit on goalies. They brought in all three of the young guys and they didn't bring Shane Starrett, which was a surprise. But maybe they know something about his health that you and I don't know because he had health issues all year. He did. He was never right. So, so maybe they, he's not right now. The roster... Uh, you know, at least the bottom end of the roster is younger than I expected, and that's fine by me. You know, it's a, be a good experience for those young fellows to, you know, to be in the, you know, the, the real, I mean, playoffs is a boot camp at the best of times, but with the, you know, with the bubble in place and so on, it'll be an intense hockey experience for these young fellows, you'd have to think, and hopefully they'll gain some benefit even if they don't play any games. Indeed. Bruce, hmm. I don't have much more to say about the roster myself, other than I think this roster is. So I, 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 I say if if the if the if the Hawks and the Oilers played four times, the Oilers would win three of those four times, and the other okay. time the Hawks. That's then I think in the second series the Oilers also have a have a 
should be the favorite in the second series that they play. Why do you, why do you say that? Because they're going to be playing against one of the top four teams in the Western Conference. I just like the, the Oilers. Bre- I just think this yeah. is a hell of a team. Yeah, McDavid no, I, mean, I do like their chances. I just don't see them being listed as favorites against a against a top conference team. They they may well be well positioned to pull off the upset, yeah. but it would be considered one. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl are ready to win. Is why I say this. And you know the, the main issue is goaltending, and mm-hmm. so we've seen both Smith and Koskinen have really great games and crappy ones. So if you have mm-hmm. one goalie and you're just riding that one guy, you might be in big trouble, right? Because yeah. If he's crappy, then you're done. But you you have two guys at this point who can uh, kind of alternate. So if Smith sucks, you're going to lose that game probably. But then you can come back next game with Koskinen and you have a chance to win. So I even in net, although the, that's the biggest question mark, and it's huge, um, it's not completely bad news. It's kind of... It's it's kind of interesting news. It's kind of a it's going to keep us on the edge of our seats. Other than that, Bruce, this is an excellent hockey team. They have they've got they've got depth. They've got defensive depth. They've got good defensemen. They've got good forwards up and down the lineup, and they've got the two best players in the NHL this year, probably. So, um, yeah, I think that they they would beat the, they're, they they should be heavy favorites, honestly, against the Blackhawks. And in the next round, good luck to the team that plays them because this is a really good hockey team. Yeah, well, they've got they've certainly got lots of pieces, and as you say, the two big ones. Uh, I mean, we're at the point now. Connor McDavid's the same age now as Wayne Gretzky was when he won the his first Stanley Cup, in 1984. He was his fifth year in the NHL. He was 23 years old. He turned 23 that <laughs> January. Yeah, and he was a, uh, 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 you know, not saying Connor McDavid is Wayne Gretzky. Nobody is Wayne Gretzky. I'm just saying they're of that age. That I watched that team grow, uh, not old, but mature together. And the difference between the Oilers at 21, even the great Oilers at 21 versus that team at 23. And all those guys. And, you know, and Dry Settles in the same exact same uh, area code at age 24. And ready to, you know, not just star in the league, but win in the league. It's a big step, but uh, I'm uh, I'm happy with the you know the main engines driving the Oilers. How could you not be? All right, I just correct a mistake in my story here. So just give me a second, Bruce Zach Cassian. <laughs> got a little bit of trouble this week. He posed for a photograph with a Hell's Angel. What did you make of that yourself? I saw that picture and I thought those are tremendous mutton chop sideburns that Zach's got on right now. Brought me back a little bit of happy memories of uh, his appearance in the 2017 playoffs when those mutton chops were the leading edge of a pretty pretty domineering player for especially the San Jose series. Uh, it's a picture he posts with a fan. I mean, some you're somewhere with some guy and he asks you to pose for a selfie. If you're a hockey player, what are you going to do? I mean, you, you look a little bit askance at it and you say, well, that's, I guess that's Cassian, you know, but I mean, holy hell. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. This is, I just think this is one of the worst things that we do to people is celebrities. Like they pose for a picture with someone and it's someone either wearing the wrong t-shirt or being in the wrong person or they're in the wrong club himself. And they, they come on, the Hells Angels are pretty rotten, you know, gang of people. It's, it's. I'm no fan of the Hells Angels, who is. Uh, 
but come on, it's, 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 he's he's a hockey player posing with a fan. You're posing with fans all the time. You got people coming up to you now. Maybe he even knew. Apparently, they're both Hardy writers, so he might have known him oh. that he's in the game. But even then, he's like on just Instagram he's, he, or he, something. Zach's but. relating to him as a hockey player fan. That's what I'm assuming. Hockey player fan, not not uh, you know someone cozying up to the Hell's Angels. And I just mm-hmm. just give people a. I just think look, I'm going to give you a break, Zach Cassian. You're doing your job yeah. as an athlete to pose with mm-hmm. a fan for a photo. You're trained to do that. That is your training. Now, some people say, well, in this era of COVID, you should train, change your training and not get too close to fans. So that's... Yeah. I put, I, the social okay, distancing is a legit quibble, but it, it's a quibble. It's a you quibble. Know. It's, yeah, they weren't it's, hugging. You know, no, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't ideal for that reason, but uh, I guess if you're supposed to be setting an example, then you need to be thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, on, on my list of though. concerns about the Oilers, that's yeah. a long, long way down the list. Yeah, I like the Oilers' reaction to it. Their, their reaction is basically like Zach posing with a fan. Can we move on? Yeah, <laughs> I hope yeah, I hope that we can move on from that. Uh, you know, and and actually, I think by far the mo- most people online were were not upset about that at all. I didn't see much much upset at all. Alrighty, Bruce. Um, have we covered everything that we're going to talk about, or is there anything else on our list for tonight? Uh, unless you wanted it. to touch on the last few prospects we covered. Ah, let's just okay. leave that. We'll, yeah, let's okay. we'll have we another podcast. Yeah, we can have another podcast right away on uh, the final group of po- uh, prospects, perhaps, okay. and uh, we'll talk about those guys at that time. Alrighty, training camp tomorrow. No one can attend. Mm-hmm. No one can watch. No one can know anything. But it's yeah, I mean, what are we going to find out? Like, that's what I'm like. I'm used to sort of hanging around. Like, if they don't let you in the arena, you hang around on Twitter, and you know, and you get people like Maddie and and uh, and Rashog and and uh, Reed Wilkins, you know, Stoffer and so on, reporting out of the rink. And, I think and we'll get that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to get. I'm kind of looking forward to it, but with some trepidation. Then I think it might be a calm to silence to some degree. The well, owners themselves will have uh, have strong control over the media content we do see, so we're going to see a lot of canned and uh, 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 antiseptic is that the right word type interviews with uh, uh, sanitized maybe it's a better word uh, interviews and and you know controlled um, information, and I don't know about how how much we're going to get of the nitty gritty stuff that. Uh, the hardcore, you know, uh, ink-stained wretches have been chasing all these years. I kind of feel for those guys. You know, a guy like Matty has been in the rink for ever, right? How is he supposed to do what he's always done under these circumstances? Yeah, they got to got to adapt, just like everyone yeah. else in the COVID world. And, <laughs> and they got to adapt. I think actually they might, be, they might allow them in the press box. Yeah, I think well, I think I read that they're going to be allowed in the games for the in the press box. Okay. So maybe in the practices they can go to the press box as well. I don't know. Uh, they can't sit down low by the boards or whatever they might normally do, but uh, they can sit up in the press box and they can watch. So they'll know the lines and the line couple. So we'll find out. This is something that we'll find out. I, I, the thing I hope more. we don't get is the news Montreal just got like a bunch of Montreal Canadians have apparently tested positive. So I'm hoping that we don't get that kind of okay. news in I Edmonton. Not hear that. And that's, um, that's my concern about the 24 teams writ large is you're going to get three or four of those 
circumstances and having seen what's gone on in the, you know, Major League Soccer, for instance, where they had two teams pull out of their tournament because of team outbreaks, you know. So I don't know how much of that the hockey format could survive. But, well, they've uh, got lots of players on the Canadians, they, 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 you know. Yeah. And, you know, speaking, it's horrible if anyone gets this disease. No. Let me say that to preface this, but speaking as an Oilers fan, as long as, long as it's not the Oilers, oh. uh, you know, let's hope, hopefully our Oilers players are going to be really smart and careful and lucky and not, not get infected during the, the, this last stage of it. Um, and well, Livingston's we'll, been doing good, you know, until this last little while. I wonder if we let our guard down a little bit, you know. Oh, I think so. It's because uh, so. the, the results were so good, so good, so good for so long. Well, it's, and now all of a sudden it's, uh, you know, we've had a few worrisome signs in the last little while and uh, we need to get it together as a community a little bit, maybe. People are just really out, you know, we're, we're trying to live our lives, you know, we, we, yeah. we, we did the thing, we flattened the curve and now yeah. we're trying to get back as we need to do, get back and live our lives. So there's going to be more cases and, um, you know, I, we'll see. I, I suspect that this is going to be the last big bump in terms of outbreaks. Now that everyone's in camp, um, there's going to be uh, strong controls, stronger controls on the players, ever stronger controls on the players, and more seriousness preached to them. They're young guys, right? They need to be told in firm and on no uncertain terms about how you're going to live your life the next few weeks. And I think that uh, we'll see as this goes along, we're going to see, you know, there was the initial burst, wasn't there, of cases when the guys, there hasn't been anything too much in a couple of weeks. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Since the Austin Matthews thing and right. there was the Tampa Bay thing, since that outburst, hasn't been a lot of news. Now, maybe it's just been kept quiet, which is a real possibility. Yeah, there was too. a couple of teams where I heard there was a couple of members here and there. And, of course, nobody was named except Austin Matthews, but it was... Uh, it was a, a uh, uh, it's, uh, it's this phase three that has, has me, you know, antsy. I think if we get to phase four, all the teams are in two places and not 24 different places all over this, this uh, forsaken continent, that uh, we can breathe a little bit easier. And, uh, and I know Rashad, Ryan Rashad at TSN, he's been hammering on this point for, weeks slash months and I, I think his reporting has been very balanced very big picture outlook and uh, he's all along been saying you know this phase three this is a big big hurdle and I've listened to his reasoning and I agree with it like he's made a strong case as to why that would be so yeah, yeah there was someone I think Friedman said the thing he keeps hearing Elliot Friedman said the thing he keeps hearing again and again and again is the quote is we've just got to get to the bubble yeah. And it's and it's it's the, the world is now at a point where everything sounds like a sci-fi movie. You know, we just got to mm -hmm. get to the bubble and we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, and you got to get to. I mean, I'm not sure where all the teams' camps are, but I'd like I'd like to hope that some of them are nowhere close to the actual cities they represent, especially some of those southern cities in the states where there's uh, you know. Well, in California, is there any California teams? No, California. All the California teams. Yeah, they've got a huge the twelve-team playoffs. They had a huge outbreak of terrible hockey in California this year. <laughs> <laughs> so they're off the hook. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it, those California teams have caused us so much grief that I have to admit I've taken a little bit yeah. of, of, uh, of, yeah. of we hate joy, joy yeah. in their, in their uh, malicious joy in their 
joint downfall in, in 1920. We hates them. So uh, I'll be looking up at the, the three California team in the standings for, for so long. And now oh, they're all down there. Yeah. I don't <laughs> hate the Sharks, but I hate the Kings and the Ducks. Oh. Okay. I, I, can, I can hate okay. the Sharks, though. <laughs> be joyous. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And the mean, and in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.